Activist theology is built on the power of story, and we believe story can change the world. We also know that being in community with one another on this journey will help to build a movement committed to collective liberation and a more loving world. We have a commitment to the ethics and politics of Encajunto, or togetherness, and we are together in this work with you. Hi, folks. This is Dr. Robin. Hi, y'all. This is Reverend Anna Galladay, and we are your hosts for the Activist Theology Podcast. It's time for us to get our hands dirty. We're ready. Are you? Hey, Pastor. Well, hey there, Dr. Robin. How are you? Listen, I got up at like 6.30 this morning. What? Yeah. Like 6.30 in the morning? Yeah, 6.30. Yeah, I was wide awake and I just decided to get up and I went and I made coffee and, you know, just really enjoyed a December winter morning. I love that. I love that you are up early. I have been finding that my morning, my early mornings when things are quiet, I am loving um, turning my Christmas tree lights on and just sitting in the light of the tree and drinking coffee and thinking about the intentions for the day. I don't know. I know your house looks like Christmas threw up which I love about your home. I love that your partner is. I like to call it a winter wonderland. It is. It is. It's, but it's a lot of Christmas. It is. And it is. um, I have to imagine that even if you just turned the Christmas lights on in your house, then you would have enough lighting to get you through the day. Correct. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Who needs overhead lights when we've got all the jingle lights that we need? Yes. Well, that's so great. Yeah. So, so I was up early and made coffee and spent some time um, on Twitter um, catching up with what's happening there and actually talked with uh, Kevin Garcia this morning a little bit over text and uh, was drinking coffee out of his cup that that he sells that it says bad theology kills so i tweeted a picture of that and and just kind of had a slow morning um and then actually talked with a scholar in the uk um who is doing work around embodiment and anti-poverty and was really amazing yeah was really encouraged to hear that there is this activist research happening in the UK and, you know, kind of hope that she'll come onto the show sometime. That'd be amazing. I, I love these. um, I, so there's, there's a lot about me that is challenged by the shorter days of winter time. I am, I suffer from seasonal affective disorder. Um, which really just manifests itself in in the form of depression and anxiety for me. I I relish the sunshine. I need the sunshine. And so I there are parts of the winter months that really get me down. But I have to say that the slowness with which we approach this time of year, um, there are there are times where it is frenzied and you know you're you're shopping and you're being with, you know, trying to plan family gatherings. But there's something about this COVID winter time that feels different. It feels slower. It feels more intentional. It feels more, um, less frenetic. And I, I'm enjoying that. I'm enjoying kind of the, the softness of, of this month in a way that I don't ever remember enjoying it in the past. Yeah. I was talking with, um, Aaron, my partner, uh, last night, and we both sort of haven't really been into the holiday spirit. Like, we have Christmas mm-hmm. up. We, you know, all the, there are presents under the tree, but we we haven't we haven't really felt in the spirit. And I mm-hmm. and I think that you know you talk about this COVID winter it being a slower pace and 
neither one of us are getting out to go shopping um, and supporting our capitalistic machine. So we're participating in a slower pace, but we also just um, haven't felt um, the mystery of the season. Yeah. Uh, And last night, I'm going to mention this because I know that you watched it too, but last night yes. I was gifted a key behind the door to watch the the final concert of Delta Ray. Yes. And that really helped me get into the spirit. I, right. um, I wish that I had a living room full of people watching it. I wish that actually we were watching it live, you know? Yes, yes. Um, but I really needed that music and I, I miss them so much. And, and I was just, you know, recalling when we went on the cruise and, and how, how, how that pace even was, was so um, funny, number one, and absurd, number two, but, (laughs) but just how much fun live music is, how much fun it was to go on that cruise. Um, I really needed that Delta Ray concert last night. Yeah, it was lovely. And and for those of you that are just new to listening to the podcast, so the, the music that you hear at the beginning and at the end of the podcast is from our friends at, at Delta Ray, um, this amazing uh, band of kind of half family, half, uh, half blood family, half uh, friend family that um, make amazing music. And the song that you hear at the beginning of our episode is a song called Hands Dirty, which uh, really kind of set a tone for us with this podcast of, you know, encouraging ourselves and encouraging one another to get our hands dirty in the work. And so it's, you know, it's interesting how this is, it it feels a little bit like a full circle moment, right? We, we started this podcast in uh, at the beginning of January in 2020. Little did we know that life would take the turn that it took with a, a pandemic bringing us all to what felt like a screeching halt yep. at the end of at the end of March and in early April, and you know we are finishing the last episode of the season for the year, talking about Delta Ray and talking about how we feel like we have um, gotten our hands dirty in the work and had really important conversations, and I. Um, We're going to take this episode, friends, to um, reflect a little bit about what this podcast has meant to us and what we know it has meant to you based on some of the comments you've given. Um, We're going to share some of our favorite moments for you um, and let you revisit and rehear some of the the brilliant voices that we um, had the the privilege of hosting over the last year. And we're going to talk a little bit about 2021 and what that, what that might look like for the activist theology podcast. And I'm really excited. I'm excited for this episode. I'm excited that we have made it through a whole season that we are God, we did it. We, I mean, look, we started this podcast in January looking at each other. Like, um, do we think we can like, really make it through a whole year and do this every single week and pull this off and look at us like we we did it we are this is episode 48 um and we're like we did it we we put together a whole season well and i just want to remind folks that you and i went on a writing retreat last december in the woods of tennessee we did not about halfway in between both of our homes and it was it was really nice um to be there together and um to be in rural tennessee and and i said to you i think that we should start a podcast and i pitched it to our group text and and everyone were like hands down yes of course we should be doing this and of course we should be the ones doing this and so it really started um really last december when when we said let's let's think about doing this because you know i i think that um relationship is what will save us 
Yes. I don't think books, data, information, statistics will be the things that save us from supremacy culture and and a political um, history that uh, reinforces supremacy culture. I really think it is relationship. And I think as someone who is trained as a theologian and ethicist, I, I think of theology and ethics as a way of life. Um, the way I order my days, the way I think about things really comes from um, the Lord's Prayer in many respects. Um, let us um, create heaven on earth. And, and so when I, when I was thinking about this podcast, I was thinking two things. One is we could um, create a conversation about pressing social concerns, which is part of the core of what we do with the Activist Theology Project. And we could model relationship and kinship that um, I think should be the kind of kinship that we share in the world to steward the kind of world that we want to inhabit. And so I really saw our time together last December working on the bridging curriculum as as a um, as a model for how we could build a podcast. Now, I didn't have a clue who would we have on it. I, I didn't know what that looked like. I mean, you have really helped engineer how we structure things and whatnot, which I've been really grateful for. Um, but we ended up creating a, a really robust conversation with politicians, with movement leaders, with academics, with educators, with musicians, musicians, yeah. with lots of different people who are doing their own kind of work in the world, getting their hands dirty and, and looking at what's happening in the world. I mean, that's, that's really what we've tried to do. Right. I mean, you know, we are, it is, it is easy for us to, you know, comment. It's easy for any of us, regardless of whether we have a podcast platform or not to comment on the state of the world, to comment on the things we see happening and the, our opinions of them. I think what we have tried to do with this podcast is correlate our opinions and our frustrations and our observations of what's happening in the world with the, the work that we believe is necessary in order to thwart the supremacy culture and our understanding of all of the, the, you know, isms and, and phobics it, that, that, that press against this, our capacity to be in relationship with one another and right. to build this vital community that we know is so necessary to save us. I, I think we've been able to do that. I think, you know, we have, we have laughed to the point of, of tears. We have, I mean, I have been struck mute uh, in some instances, <laughs> listening yeah. to the, 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 brilliant voices on this on this um this stage that we've created and i'm just i'm really grateful that we have curated a community that one wants to listen um but two that wants to engage in this conversation in really deep and um emotional and almost like tearing like a, a, a birthing a tearing apart of uh, the constructs that have that have gotten us to this point I don't know that I I ha so I had a vision for the podcast that was different than your vision um, only in that you know we are different humans and we vision mm -hmm. things differently and I am so amazed at this the and what has been birthed in this year and the conversations that we've been, we've been able to, to have and share with, share with all of you that listen. 
Uh, we're constantly amazed. We we talk all the time about, um, hey, did you know we have a listener in this country? Fill in the blank. Um, and, you know, we look at our statistics and we are in awe of the engagement. We're in awe of the number of you that listen. We um, pinch ourselves sometimes when we think that you know, there are people that are actually taking, you know, an hour out of their week to to just sit with these really hard topics and 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 engage in ways that that are meaningful. And I I'm I'm still a little I still pinch myself sometimes that that we get the chance to do this. Yeah, you know, and and some people might be wondering why another podcast. I mean, we're we're in a culture where seems like everyone's making a podcast and um you know i i would love just to share why um and hear from you uh, why it's important to to have this kind of conversation i think that there are a lot of opinions in the world and there are a lot of people who are um using a podcast platform to share their opinions, which is part of what it means to live in a world or in a country where there is the freedom of speech. But I really felt it was my moral responsibility to steward a conversation that that united or that intersected my vocational training as a theologian and, and ethics with what is happening in the world because you know people um people go to church and they may hear a very dogmatic sermon or they may hear a very legalistic sermon and there's no relationship that is stewarded in in that sermon and i really saw it to to build a kind of conversation that not only took relationships seriously, but but actually um, was was a kind of conversation that that helped to break down either or thinking black white narratives and kind of live in this in between space, nepatla, as it were, because that in between space is is really where a lot of decisions are made for for a lot of us, right? I mean, and, and, and I, and I really wanted to, um, I really wanted to see the work of activist theology be more than a book that was published. I wanted it to see a, a more, um, you know, I wanted, I wanted people to be able to connect with the lived experience of what activist theology is, which, which is really at the heart of my theology. Yeah, I think that, I think we have accomplished that. I think your guidance in this has allowed us to broaden our understandings in ways that many of us, and, and I speak for myself when I say this, um, haven't, haven't been able to tap into. I mean, I was, I was concerned um, about hosting this kind of conversation as a straight cisgender yeah. white woman. Um, I, I have, I have always wanted to be a part of this kind of conversation because I believe that it has, I mean, it is truly informed and has helped me break down my own understanding of the way that Suprem white supremacy has has influenced my my life and and these last um, four decades of it, but I was I was really uh, I was self conscious about hosting this kind of conversation because of the whiteness that I bring yeah. to the table, yeah. and I uh, that was my biggest reservation going into this work, um, but I think that. We have, I know that I have, um, I hope I have learned to shut up more than I've learned to talk uh, through this process. Um, and I think that I have, 
I have recognized that because of the privilege I hold in these kinds of spaces, I am less concerned with um, being feeling guilty about my whiteness and more concerned about using my whiteness and my privilege in a way that helps to undermine the systems that got me to where I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so if, if I, if I have any, if I had any reservation about my capacity to do this, it was because of that. If I have any uh, feelings around the, the ways that I've come through it and the ways that I've been able to, to, to overcome those fears, it is in the, it is in that space of uh, if if I am going to be the person that hosts the conversations, then I want to be the person that sets the dynamite at the foot of foundations of oppression and yeah. lights the match. Yeah. Blow so, it up. Yeah. Well, we have had some really amazing guests this season. I mean – Look, every time I am still astounded at some of the people that we have been able to talk to. Yeah. We have hosted um, all kinds of people. We have talked about our bodies. We have talked about oppression. We have talked about music. We have talked about work in the streets. We have talked about mental health. We have talked about sexual, um, the work of, of sex as it relates to supremacy culture. Um, we've talked about queerness and queerness in the church. And, and we have, we have talked about all of those things with an understanding that um, we have got to dismantle systems that are harming us. Mm-hmm. And we'd like to take uh, the next little bit of time to share with you some of our favorite moments from this season. And yes. it was really hard for me personally to identify favorites because I feel like every single week has had a nugget of um, hope and possibility in it that has blown a little hole out the side of my head. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to introduce you to a couple of our favorite moments from this podcast um, and let you uh, take a listen in case these are things that you have missed over the year. We welcomed Mike McCarg, who is uh, also known to some of you as Science Mike, um, earlier in the the podcast, he, and he came on really early. He in, did. In he the, came yeah. on really early. He was he was one of our early adopters as yeah. it as it as it relates to um to to people in the in the work. And uh, many of you know that there are there if we if we have a white straight um, man. Or, or, or even a white cisgender man on the podcast, we we do issue a disclaimer um, before that uh, podcast starts, just letting uh, you all know that we recognize the, the the problematic nature of you know offering space to um, men that in many ways have um, have not um, have not done the same for their their siblings. Um, of other genders and their siblings uh, of color and other communities. But Mike gave us some insight into how he has dismantled supremacy culture in his own life and how he has used the platforms that he's been given to really inform uh, his own growth in, in the work. One of my favorite moments with this conversation with Mike centered around uh, a question we posed to him regarding how he came to learn yeah. what he now knows. And he offered this really, really beautiful um, story around his growth uh, when it comes to engaging with people of color and uh, we want to have you just take a little listen to it. Yes. You know, I, uh, I'm autistic and I am, um, I have a trauma background. And so I tend to view any interaction with another person as being uh, a potential burden on them. So I tend to have a very withdrawn 
uh, traits in my personality. So I love talking with people. I love being with people. I'm very present in conversation. I'm also very afraid to reach out to people because I'm sure that if I do, they're going to be like, oh, my gosh, why mm-hmm. is this asshole trying to talk to me? Mm-hmm. And that's just a conviction. I know that's a backseat driver trauma thing that I'm working on. It's very much there. So as is typical for me, when I became there was a, aware there was a problem, the first thing I know is there's already a way to get lots of information in a way that supports people, and that's by books. So, so women of color have already done intense scholarship, intense work in advocacy, and they wrote it all down, and it's yeah. all there so I can learn and I can support them and I can become a, a factor of change in the public publishing industry by just setting aside a significant slice of my income to buy and read these books. Yeah, and that's, that's great. how I started. Um, and as I did that over a period of a couple of years, the way I started to speak publicly on stage, on the podcast and in social media started to what? It started to move and change. Um, and I, I viewed it as my responsibility to do the work myself, understanding the resources already existed. Again, I was following at this point lots and lots of uh, people of color on social media, trying to listen, trying to apply, quickly learning. One of the first surprises for an, a newly justice-informed white person, oh, wow, there's even different opinions in these communities, and how do mm-hmm. I navigate that? Yeah. Um, and as that happened, um, friends, many of whom are also public figures, started reaching out to me and saying, it looks to me like you are doing some important work in your life. It looks to me like you're doing the research that I'm hoping people will do. I would like to enter into a relationship with you of taking this farther. Mm. And uh, and then I would say, gosh, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to take any of your time. Mm. And um, one of my friends, who I don't think would mind me name dropping her because I did it in the book, Mickey Scott Bay Jones said, you are a great learner. And I love that you're learning from women of color. But why don't you try being friends with us as well? Like mm. real friendship. Um, And I became pretty aware of the ways that like even my approach to relationships is white. It's like... um. I don't know. There's a, there's an odd formality to it. And, um, and that what provoked that, by the way, is I went in the hospital and I didn't, I didn't tell Mickey I was there and she was, she was pretty upset by that. Um, and, and so I have started, um, when those opportunities present themselves, uh, accepting and participating while also being conscientious that this is, um, a real kindness someone is doing mm-hmm. and that the primary onus is still on me to do my work and then to engage with them at whatever level they are comfortable with and have the time and energy for at that particular moment. In their life. Yeah, I can imagine. Another story that was really impactful. I know for both of us was our conversation with Brit- Brittany Packnett Cunningham. Yes. I mean, talk about a force of nature. Yes. Uh, this human is just astonishingly gifted and brilliant in the way that she communicates. Um, I, I, I pinched myself a little when I knew that Brittany was going to be coming on the podcast because uh, I've had a bit of a, I, I've been a bit of a follower of hers for yep. for um for several years. But and let me just say that she she said yes because we had Lisa Sharon Harper on our podcast. Right. So I, I just I just want to say that there's something about inviting, um, you know, it it it's one thing to invite a black woman. It's another thing to continue to invite black women onto our podcast and. Brittany said yes because we had stewarded relationships with right. with these black women thought leaders yeah. who um who said yes to us. Yeah. I'm I'm grateful that the work has 
allowed us to to offer space to these voices. They are the voices that we really need to be listening yep. to. And in our conversation with Brittany, so we talked to Brittany several weeks before the election. We actually talked to Brittany several days before the vice presidential nomination was right. announced. So when we had this conversation with Brittany, we did not know that Kamala Harris was to be Joe Biden's running mate. Um, but what we did know was that he had already announced that a black woman was um, or that a woman was going to be his pick. And we were all optimistic that it would be a woman of color. Right. Um, but where this conversation with Brittany um, took off for me and really kind of left me speechless was a conversation that you and Brittany had, Robin, around the power of Black women, the authority of Black women in the work. Well, and, and I even told my story about, about um, how women of color were those who were in authority for me yes. growing up in yes. school. And yeah, yeah. And how hard it was for you to then listen to white women once yeah. you once you were conscripted into this understanding that supposedly white women were the women that had more authority than right. the, the, the uh, women of color that you had grown right. up with. Um, but it was really interesting to me because um, Brittany foreshadowed what we would come to know as the the uh, one of the primary reasons that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris ultimately ended up winning uh, the election in November, as she spoke about how we need to honor the authority of Black women and how it will be the the ways that Black women transform our understanding that will hold the future of possibility for this nation. Brittany, um, I, I said a couple weeks ago on the podcast about how, so I'm born to a Mexican woman, an immigrant actually, and an Anglo father. And I lived with my mother, my Mexican mother for the first 12 years of my life. And she had me around a lot of women of color. So my first um, impression of authority were women of color. And like when I got into public school and later in college and, and white people were in authority, I, I like learned to question that because that was not my experience growing up. And when I think about the misogyny and racism and the toxic theology that gets um, leveled against the slate of women of color, I think as a society, which is fragmented and broken and deeply conscripted into white supremacy and other supremacy cultures, we actually don't know as a culture, we don't know how to, um, we, we don't know how to honor the authority of black women. Mm, yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I sure do. like, <laughs> like, like, to me, it's like natural because I, that's how I was socialized. Right. But mm -hmm. as a, but as a culture, we question the, the mere authority that a, even a black woman would be considered. Yeah. Which is incredible when you think about the extreme positions of authority black women have been in throughout the history of this country. Right. I mean, you can go and go on Google right now and find the pictures of enslaved African women, not only cleaning houses and cooking the meals and managing entire estates, but literally breastfeeding white women's children. Yes. So, we are we have enough power and authority to literally provide the nutrients to your newborns, mm -hmm. but not enough power and authority to be recognized in our full humanity and all of the ways in which we literally not only keep things running, but know how to actually build and create and innovate the engine that has to right. go in the machine in the first place. Right. I think that there is a there is a company. It's 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 amazing, but it's not surprising yeah. because 
white supremacy is a deeply fragile thing, right? It depends on the superiority of folks who have not proven themselves to be, who have not proven themselves culturally to be superior, right? Mm -hmm. So we Mm -hmm. rely on a set of myths, right? And I'm not talking about white people individually, right? We're talking about whiteness as a culture. We're talking about supremacy culture. It depends set of myths and lies that says that that white people created everything that they controlled everything that they ran everything and that while the rest of the world was running around like brutes that they were the only sophisticated ones that is literally untrue all across the world it is untrue so because white supremacy is such a fragile thing it relies on the subjugation intimidation and degradation of people who show any power that could uh that could come run against those myths of superiority right black women have shown ourselves to run against those myths of superiority all the time whether we've gotten the credit or not um and so it, it is it is amazing but it is still unsurprising and i do think that once everybody all of us we move our own egos out of the way enough to recognize the genius and innovation and power and leadership that can come from so many places that are led by people who don't look like us, the faster we can actually not only get to a place of collective healing, but a place of connective, a collective wellness for folks, mm-hmm. right? I did a, a TED talk on confidence and I think people were a little confused as to why I chose what can feel like such a soft topic. And I chose it because I actually want there to be a revolution of confidence such that a confident black woman and a confident disabled person and a confident and indi- you know two-spirit indigenous person all receive the same kinds of resources and support and development that they deserve so that their genius can benefit all of us like we are literally moving out on the leadership and create creativity of people who we keep subjugating instead of allowing them and pushing them to be their most confident selves so that they can offer us the best of them mm-hmm. themselves right like what if the cure for cancer is sitting in one of their brains, but we're missing it because we created a created a society that doesn't want to listen to those folks and that tells right. those folks not to be confident? That is a loss, a material loss for everybody. So beyond the moral argument, beyond the spiritual argument, the material argument, the argument for the bottom line says that we should actually be creating space that respects everybody's confidence and power and authority because we all benefit. So I've had a lot of favorite moments this year um, doing our, our podcast. I, I can think about, um, you know, during the primary season when we interviewed Mark Charles and his talk about reparations, which I thought was really important yes. not only to listen to, but to learn about um, and the limits of reparations. I can recall um, being in conversation with, our comrade Jeff Kochi and yes. masculinity and and how how we're really seeing the tentacles of toxic masculinity in not only in this administration but in culture at large. But you know, as we endured this pandemic virtually with one another, you really had a brilliant idea about discussing mental health experiences. Right. And considering it's we're in the holiday season of several holidays, you know, the church, health institutions, our culture, you know, mental experiences of mental health um, issues or problems or however we want to talk about that is seen really taboo in our culture. And yet so prevalent. I mean, it's so prevalent, you know, I mean, you and I talked very honestly about our own challenges. um, But I think it's very hard for others. I mean, it it was hard for me for many years to talk about Mm -hmm. my own mental health. Um, And you're right, the the taboo around it is uh, unfortunate. uh, But it's necessary for us to to model Mm -hmm. how, um, how, how, we can be with one another and, and how our challenges around mental health shouldn't be a barrier to that. Yeah. And I, and I know that you had specific clips of, of your favorite episodes, but, but, but for me, 
the episode 43 where we were in conversation about mental health uh, was um, really important. And, and I want to prioritize that episode, that entire episode, our whole sharing. I mean, one of the things that I have been battling over the past several weeks after hearing about our mutual friend, Chris Taylor's neighbor contracting COVID on a Tuesday and passing away on a Thursday, that, that knowledge really crippled me. And I uh, began having irrational fear, anxiety. We almost called you one night because I was having chest pains and back pains. I didn't know if I was having a heart attack and, you know, the stress of living in a pandemic, not knowing if you're going to survive it or not, you know, like when our survivability is primary. Correct. How do we, how do we, how do we live? So for me, our, our focus and priority on mental health experiences is something that has stayed with me. And I think knowing that you're a safe person that I can come to to say, hey, I'm struggling when we don't live in a culture where we can share those things. Right. Same. I mean, this past weekend, I was out of commission a little bit on our text thread. And uh, that was a self-protective measure for me because I was having major anxiety issues and on the brink of panic attacks and was doing some things uh, out in the public eye that limited my ability to take the medicine that really helps me through that. And yeah, so I, you know, I, I came to you in the same vein, really honestly, and said, look, I'm sorry, I've been uh, detached, but this is what's going on. And mm-hmm. um, I'm just, you know, I'm doing my best to, to work through it. And you, you yeah. honor me in that you, you, yeah. you know, you support me through that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think, Gosh, if we can, if if anything, if we can come out of this pandemic with more compassion and more love for one another, then maybe we can practice a generous humanity that will steward, you know, a, a, a better vision for the world. But yeah. so episode 43, but then also when we, when we continued that, Yes. And we talked with Hillary in episode 45. One of my favorite episodes ever. Hillary is someone who, you know what? She celebrates you. She listens to you. She, you know, she is the kind of human that I hope that I can become. Yes. Um, that entire episode of where we talked about our cultural nervous system, our cultural body... Uh, the ways that grief and anxiety and mental health experiences impact our ability to be our best selves. Yes. Um, you know, episode 45 is, is another one that is right, right up at the top. And, and we just, we just did that. I mean, right. (laughs) You know, we've got almost 50 episodes and it's really, those those last two, 43 and 45, that I think create the kind of space, emotional space, intellectual space, and heart space that will allow us to lean into, I think, the kind of work that is necessary in this moment. Yeah. You know, I have a, um, I have a relative who listens to this podcast who often commends our courage. Um, will say to me, you know, I'm, I'm really, um, amazed at how courageous you were on that episode or how courageous you and Robin were on that episode. And when it all boils down to it, friends, we're maybe you will see us as courageous, but really, what I hope you glean out of hearing Robin and I together on these episodes week after week is that we are doing our ever level best to model for you the kind of relationship that we want to have with all of the other people in our lives. Right. The kind of authentic relationship, the kind of honest relationship 
And yes, courage is part of that because being courageous often isn't easy for, for, mm -hmm. for us. Um, you know, being courageous comes with uh, fear and it comes with the possibility of um, trauma resurfacing and it, and it often asks us to, to be in zones that aren't comfortable for us to be in. Yeah. But this conversation around mental health, I think, has broken down. I mean, it has broken down walls for you and I, mm -hmm. even though we deeply know one another and we have had conversations like this before. Every week I discover something new and amazing about you. But it it is in this understanding that our whole selves, our bodies, our hearts, our minds, our health, our nervous system, our gut, every single thing about us is what has to transform into the work of this world. Right. We can't just be feet on the pavement. We can't just be heads in academic research. We can't just be hearts in empathetic um, you know, ways where we just want to save everyone. Right. We have to be versions of our whole self. And I think yeah. that's what this these two episodes highlighting mental health allowed us to to show to people. And I hope that folks have a chance to go back and listen to them. Yeah. You know, you you say something that I I've not heard you articulate in this way. And I think I think had we I mean, we covered a lot of terrain this year. And I think had we not dug into some of the, you know, maybe rabbit holes people would say that we chased, but had we not done so with intention for stewarding the work, you know, like if we were just trying to have a platform and trying to amplify our own voice, we would have come away with different episodes. Right. But we we like you said you know we are really trying to model the kind of relationality that will steward the kind of work that that will transform this culture and and i i heard i heard you say that in a new way that 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 put all of who we are in relationship with all we that all we want to be and and I just want to say it's it's beautiful to hear that, and there's something, you know, I I think that, you know, art is beautiful, music is beautiful, but, you know, honesty and transparency and vulnerability, there's there's something really beautiful about those qualities, and I. And I see that in these episodes that that we've done. Yeah, and I think it's a it's worth a reminder that we are not the we are not the only or the ideal instructors for this work. <laughs> right. We are simply modeling for our listeners what we believe to be the best uh, that we know. And mm -hmm. there will be times we get it wrong. Lord knows there will be times we get it wrong, but. Um, Hopefully, in this um, this experience that you all are having of listening to Robin and I do this together, alongside many brilliant thought leaders, we will all come out of this with a better understanding of who we are and how we are to be in the world. I love it. And so those are some of our favorite moments, friends. Those are some of the moments that we have relished. Um, please know that they're just a handful. <laughs> we we have loved every single episode that we've been able to deliver to you this year. And um, we're grateful that you've been on this journey with us. And we're grateful that uh, you've allowed us to continue to do this work and, and that you've continued to listen. Uh, and now we talk about 2021, Dr. Robin. Yeah, yeah I, I mean... I never imagined that I would be living through a pandemic and right. I never imagined that I would be quarantined. And, you know, I have to say that 
these conditions, these environmental conditions of quarantine, of restrictions, of physically distance, um, those are not conditions for creativity. Those are not conditions for producing um, culture work. Um, but I, I have hope that the, the ways in which we've both leaned into contemplation, reflection, and action, some people might know that as the hermeneutical circle, the ways that we have done that will buoy us for 2021. Now, we may have to protest Biden. We already know that. Uh, right. We're, we're, we're going to have to contend with the the cabinet choices that he's making and there's yes. lots of there's lots of pushback around not putting corporate people in top cabinet positions um and and there's a i mean there's a lot of work to be doing in 2021 um we we've got to figure out how to talk about climate change in a way that motivates people to behave differently. We've got to figure out, you know, everyone I feel is reassessing how they do anti-racism work because I think they're realizing that they're coming at it differently. Now, are coming at it in a way that is not producing the kinds of change they want to see. Now, I want to say that we at the Activist Theology Project, I feel like are ahead of that curve and are, and are already doing anti-racism work and, and composting supremacy culture work in a way that is already a pivot. And so I feel like we're already ahead of the game on that. But we've got to figure out how to bring people along in that work. And so I really see 2021 as, as another year to companion people in, in the process. Yeah, it, so much will be different, and yet so much will be the same. Um, as you've stated, you know, the fact that Biden will occupy the White House is good in some ways, in that I am optimistic that the overt levels of trauma that have been felt from the Trump presidency will um, at least soften, if not, I mean, they're not going to cease, but they will soften. And I, right. I am hopeful that we will become a people that is, that is able to focus on um, impending issues that don't relate to the way that our president is minimizing us in real time. But I also recognize that, you know, we, the work is not going to stop. I mean, we are, right. we still have an old white guy in the White House, yep. Yep. no matter, no matter what, what his politics are. Um, we have a, a black woman in the White House who um, is also problematic in some ways, although her presence and the fact that she brings um, a, a, an affirmation around the power that black women that black women have the capacity to 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 hold is important, right? It, it, it's this seesaw of yes, but when right. it comes to you know who we who we are and 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 how we are to be, um, and 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 we will have very very similar work to do. My hope is that we'll be, we will be able to do it with less trauma around the 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 triggering and and you know misogynistic bend of the Trump presidency and my hope is that the pandemic will morph in a way that you and I can do some of these recordings side by side and we don't have to yeah. <laughs> we don't have to watch each other over a beautiful little screen i mean technology is wonderful and we have yeah. the capacity to have we have not yet recorded um, beside one another right. <laughs> in this entire season. And so I, I just, I want to sit with you, Ken. I want to, I want to do this work and I want to watch you side on me in real time. <laughs> well, I'm really hoping that we could do some live podcast events. And, you know, I know one of the things that we really love is sweating together in, in the heat of the North Carolina summer. And, and <laughs> I really look forward to 
doing this podcast at, at Wild Goose. With, yes. With many of the people who, who listen to this. But yes, yes I agree. Try, you know, recording side by side, figuring out how to do a live podcast event. I just, um, you know, and I need that. I need that audience participation. And so we've really appreciated when people have made comments on our podcast or emailed us uh, or tweeted at us. And we really encourage folks to continue to do that because that helps us think too. Yeah, it's um, it's we've got a lot of really good, good things coming our way in 2021. And I am I'm thrilled that we get to do another season. I'm thrilled that we're going to be um, walking this journey together again. And I um, I'm glad I get to do it with you, Ken. Yeah, I mean, we we could be doing different work, right? We could we could um be making more money but that's the truth (laughs) i mean this ain't gonna make us rich but it's not about the money it's about stewarding a better um a better world it's about stewarding a better community and uh, i'm so glad i get to do this work with you well friends we are so happy that you have been with us on this first season journey of the Activist Theology podcast. Uh, we have one more little tidbit of goodness that we're going to end the podcast with. Our editor and amazing, amazing sound um, engineer, Dan Medley, has put together a a little ditty. A little ditty. A little offering to remind all of you, and mostly to remind Robin and I about our the way we affirm each other. Yes. yes. <laughs> so we hope you'll enjoy that at the end of this episode. But just as a reminder, please do follow us. Please follow us throughout the holidays. Um, we will we will be offering up tidbits of uh, snark and what I hope to be wisdom throughout the time, even though we aren't with one another in, in, uh, through the airwaves. And if you are able, if you have the capacity, if you believe in the work that the activist theology podcast is doing, we'd love for you to think about contributing towards our capacity to do this again in 2021. You can visit activisttheology.com and click on the link to donate. You can visit activisttheology.kindful.com and go direct to the link to donate for the podcast. Um, Any assistance that you're willing to give us will help us continue to do this good work in 2021. And you should follow us at Activist Theology. Don't forget that activists and theology share a T. And Dr. Robin, that's it for 2020. That's it. We've come We've come to the end of 2020. I hope everyone um, is having a great Hanukkah and we'll have a Merry Christmas. And a Happy Kwanzaa. And a Happy Kwanzaa. Um, I'm really glad to be here. Same. So friends, as you continue to get your hands dirty, enjoy this little offering from our sound engineer and we will see you next year. Next year, y'all. Just keep working. Mm-hmm. Baby mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 But yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 Are you looking to connect the dots between what you think and how you live? Are you looking for a more robust way to be in solidarity with the movement? Are you looking to get your hands dirty with the work of social justice? 
Join Dr. Robin and Reverend Anna Galladay each week as they share, reflect, and analyze on pressing social concerns. Want to help support this podcast? Go to activisttheology.kindful.com and click on podcast. And remember, activist and theology share a T. The music you hear in this episode is Hands Dirty by our friends Delta Ray. Our sound editor and engineer is Dan Medley from 10 South Sounds. So early, they show me nothing.